Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in fabulous Las Vegas, where once again, my guest for this episode was... Uh, So kind to cancel on the day of the recording. I'm not going to reveal this person's name, but let's just say I'm not too happy. If you are a poker player and a podcast host asks you if you are available (laughs) on a certain date at a certain time, please make it your business to check your schedule before you agree to being at a certain place at a certain time. I know that in poker, there's often no consequence for being a little bit late for something or skipping something if you want to. But as a podcast host, man, I would just, I would give my right arm sometimes just to find somebody that I can actually count on to follow through with his or her commitments because this is getting a little bit frustrating. There are other people that probably would have loved to sit down and talk with me today. And instead, you're going to get just another 40 to 45 minutes of nothing but Clayton voice. And so I hope that's not going to be a problem for you. Believe me, I did try to get another voice to join me today. Anyway, I have to record today. I'm recording this on Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. I'm right in the middle of the World Series of Poker, and I have plans tomorrow for some R&R, going for a hike, going to get some sun, and just kind of take a little bit of a break. I've been going really hard poker-wise lately, and although I don't feel especially burned out, I really don't, I do feel like uh, a break is a good idea now as we ramp up towards the main event, which starts the first week of November. So I'm just trying to pace myself and make sure that I don't run out of gas just as I'm crossing the finish line. So uh, I also wanted to (laughs) clarify something about last week's episode. Most of you got that I was joking around about you guys hurting my feelings Um, not tweeting and whatnot about the Jeff Platt episode last week. And I was mostly joking, but as is the case in most comedy, there's a little bit of truth. There's a kernel of truth in what I said, but I really didn't mean to uh, give you guys such a, a heavy guilt trip, and I hope that no one took it too seriously. So what should we do today? I had plans to do an interview with a stellar guest, so instead, you guys get to hear more about my mystery bounty tournament and probably, uh, yeah, I think I'll also talk about a couple of hands from the uh, win tournament that I played. By the way, guys, the win poker room, they don't pay me to say this or anything. I don't even think that they listen to this podcast, but those guys are just doing a phenomenal job. The dealers are mostly extremely professional. Um, I had one or two that really didn't match the expectations set by other people's excellence there. But by and large, the dealers are extremely well-behaved, well-trained. 
Um, they don't cross any lines, and they know how to deal poker. So uh, the, I you know, give them a lot of credit for being very particular about who is allowed to work at the Wynn Poker Room. Uh, the, the management there, they recognize me. They know my name when I walk in, which means a lot. You know, it's nice to not have to reintroduce yourself to people over and over, especially because I have been playing there quite a bit over the last two weeks. So that is also really nice. So shout out to Ray and all the guys at the Wind Poker Room. The chairs are comfortable. The watermelon juice is to die for. <laughs> yeah, you can really be an insider. If you want to be a Vegas insider, sit down at the Wind Poker Room and order yourself a glass of watermelon juice. You'll be glad you did. It's fresh, by the way. So yeah, I've been really enjoying my time there. Um, so yeah, let's finish up this mystery bounty. I did have another hand that I wanted to talk about playing in this stellar poker room where, by the way, the rake in these tournaments is a reasonable 10% or in some cases even less. So that is another reason to support this room where they're not trying to fleece everybody as so many of the other poker rooms in town are doing. So. Here's a hand from the 500, 1,000, 1,000 level. Now, again, this is the Mystery Bounty Tournament. It's a $2,200 buy-in, of which 200 goes to the house and the dealers. And so you don't have to tip at the end because that's already taken out for the staff or whatever. Uh, you can tip, of course, if you want to, but I think that's, that's plenty. Of the other 2,000, 1,300 goes to the main prize pool and the other 700 feeds the mystery bounties which when you bust a player you win a minimum of $500 and a maximum of $250,000 but all of that only happens once you're in the money which means you have to make it to day two to participate in the mystery bounty portion of the tournament. So here we are kind of late in the day blinds at 500, 1000, 1000 uh, we have 130,000, which is one of the largest stacks in the room. Uh, a decent older opponent opens from early position to 2,500. Uh, so he strikes me as kind of a Vegas regular. I believe he had like a Venetian baseball cap on. Not a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly a competent and experienced tournament player. So he makes it 2,500. He's got 60,000 behind. Uh, folds to me on the button. And here I have pocket sixes. So it's the second hand in a row, by the way, where I had sixes, which is my brother Rob's favorite hand, by the way. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, that's not really relevant here. So here I am on the button with sixes. Now you put this hand into a three betting range I'll bet that a solver would say that it's sometimes a call and sometimes a three bet. I like to just go ahead and call here in position. I'm on the button. A lot of the value of my hand comes from set value. So if I happen to flop a six and have that six, 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 which we all just love to see so much, uh, I'm going to want the blinds in, right? Because it's very hard to beat a set. So I want as many opponents as possible in those instances. I can also probably figure out those times that I don't flop a set and my opponent gives up maybe after a small C bet or whatever. I can usually figure out that the sixes are good and either just 
check it back and win or even sometimes get a little value bet in there when one pair of sixes is a winning hand because I'm in position. So for all those reasons, I decide to just go ahead and call. I don't mind three betting once in a while, but I generally, especially with these stack sizes, I prefer to just call it. Uh, Let's see. So we call and the blinds fold anyway. So we're heads up against this older uh, competent opponent with 7,500 in the pot, the flop comes. Queen of diamonds, jack of clubs, six of diamonds. Hero holding two black sixes. So we've got three of a kind. Queen, jack, six. And the opponent checks. I bet pretty big here. And the reason why I go for this larger sizing, I bet 5,800 into 7,500. I think that there are a lot of check calls in my opponent's range, at least here on the flop, if he has something like ace-jack with the ace of diamonds, so he's got second pair with backdoor straight and flush possibilities. Uh, certainly if he's got king-10, I might even get check-raised. Certain hands like that might get frisky. He could have a hand like pocket-aces or pocket-kings that is just checking to balance his check-folding range and is going to check-raise or check-call, usually check-call with hands like that. So I think that I'm better off just betting and knowing that I should be able to get some value even from a hand like Ace-10 with a diamond that has a gut shot and some backdoor possibilities. I mean, you really can't be check folding those hands too much against aggressive players like Clayton Fletcher. So I expect to get action even from this larger sizing a lot. I'm aware that betting this big does polarize my range which is fine with me because I'm towards the top of my range. So I would also make this bet with some of my bluffs. Like if I had a flush draw or a combo draw or some kind of gut shot or myself, I might want to make this same bet on the flop and then usually check behind if I get called when I'm bluffing. So let's try it. We go 5,800 into 7,500 and we are delighted when our opponent makes the call. And now with 19,100 in the middle and our opponent with about 54,000 behind-ish, the turn is the 10 of clubs. So our board is queen of diamonds, jack of clubs, six of diamonds, 10 of clubs. So now there are two available flush draws as well as the ace king, which came in. Uh, Our opponent checks, and now it's up to me. I decide to check it back because I am a little bit afraid of ace-king. I'm also thinking that it will be hard for me to get value for three streets with just a set here. And so I prefer to check now and bet big on the river if the river comes a blank. Uh, I definitely can name a few hands that would give us action, such as King Jack, which now has a pair and a straight draw, uh, any two diamonds, Ace five of diamonds, for example, there are, or, you know, even if another flush draw got picked up on the turn. So it's not exactly a clear cut check back, but I decided to play it that way just because I felt like my opponent liked the card just based on observing him. Uh, on the turn and I was afraid of getting check raised and having to play for all the money when I'm behind. I'm behind ace king 
as well as the unlikely King 9 or 9-8, but mostly Ace-King as far as straights are concerned. I'm also behind pocket queens, pocket jacks, pocket tens. So there are some hands that might play this way that would call me on the flop and be shooting for the check raise on the turn. So in a cash game, I might bet here, but I feel like in a tournament, you have to be a little bit more cautious just because survival is the name of the game. Also, remember, we start this pot with a chip leader sized stack. So I don't really need to go too crazy trying to build and build and build. I feel like there's a lot of value in having bottom set in my check back range on the turn. I'm open to your thoughts on that, by the way, because this is one of the spots that I wasn't really sure what I should be doing. Uh, so you can tweet me at Clayton Comic. Let me know if you approve of my check back with a set on the double flush draw board, Queen Jack 10 6. Anyway, we do check behind. So there's still 19,100 in the middle, and the river comes the 10 of diamonds. For a final board of Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Clubs, Six of Diamonds, Ten of Clubs, Ten of Diamonds. So running tens on the turn and river. And the, the last ten also completed the flush. So a lot of things got there now. The straight got there. The, the diamond flush got there. But we don't mind that because we can beat a flush or a straight. Uh, several other full houses that we cannot beat also got there, such as Jack Ten, Queen Ten, so I'm expecting our opponent to check it one more time, and I'm trying to figure out how much to bet and try to get a little value from hands like Ace-King or a flush, or maybe even Ace-10, which we can also beat, three of a kind. So we're ready for that check, and it doesn't happen, guys. He puts in 10500 into the 19100 pot. Now this bet leaves our opponent with about another 44000 behind so should we just call or should we put him all in i don't think we want to fold our full house here i don't think we can do that uh he could be making this play with a flush he could be making this play with even a straight although it would be a strange line for him to bet that when the board pairs with the flush card i think a lot of players might just check a straight so i i don't know this guy's a competent player so He's capable of some things, right? He could have a hand like Ace-10 with the Ace of Diamonds. So he knows that I don't have that many flushes in my range because he's got the Ace of Diamonds and he's trying to get value from three of a kind, not that worried about a flush or a straight beating him, that sort of thing. I think that those hands make some sense. But again, if I raise, can I even get action from a hand like that? Can I even get action from a flush? I don't think so. I think if I raise, this guy's probably good enough to fold to my raise often enough to make raising unprofitable. And so for that reason, I decide to call uh, against a looser, less experienced opponent that I think would go broke with a flush. I could shove and try to get value from my hand, which by the way, is the worst possible full house on this board. But that is an exploitative play and one that I probably can't make against this somewhat skillful opponent. So I decide to just call. I don't know how many times in my poker career I've been playing Texas Hold'em 
and just flat called with a full house. But this is one of them. And my opponent turns over queen 10. So sure enough, he did like that 10 when it hit on the turn. And he liked it even more when it paired the board on the river and was going for value and certainly would have called my shove on the end and I would have doubled him up fully. So in retrospect, I'm glad that I checked it back on the turn <laughs> only because the card that I didn't know was coming ended up coming. Uh, it's actually a mistake as the cards lay for me to fail to bet the turn. So it turns out he has queen 10 of clubs, which I actually didn't think was in his range for opening from early position. An older player that struck me as competent uh, might not really want to open that hand from second position or whatever. Uh, yeah, he was in early position. I don't remember if he was second or third, but it's still uh, a pretty dubious decision on his part to even play this this hand at this particular table, which, by the way, had a lot of aggressive players. I think in his shoes, I would have just thrown away the Queen-10 suited from early position. But as you guys know from listening to other episodes of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, I'm not very active in early position. My range in early position is extremely tight. Not extremely tight, but very tight and value heavy with just a few bluffs mixed in. But yeah, typically, if you're at my table and I open from early position, you can pretty much count on me not having hands like Queen-10 in my range. And this will be even more true if I'm at a table like the one that I was actually at in this case, which was an aggressive table with a lot of three-betting pre-flop. You don't want to have to either call a three-bet from out of position with such a trappy hand as Queen-10. You also don't want to have to fold too often to those three bets that will be coming relatively often. So it's best to just kind of stay out of trouble with those kind of hands, unless you want to include them in your occasionally into your four betting range. But I don't like having this type of hand in my four betting range because there aren't that many hands that I would want to four bet that have queens or tens included in them. Maybe pocket queens, some ace queens, some of the time against some opponents. So overall, I think it's a small mistake for him to play this hand at this table from that position. And uh, it worked out great for him this time. But mostly, I was happy that I didn't build too big of a pot on the scary turn card. Because there's a great chance I would have ended up doubling this fellow up on the river if I had. Alright, well as you guys know, I did well in that mystery bounty tournament for quite a while but towards the end of the day my stack became average and then it became below average and then it became zero uh, about 10 and a half hours in to what turned out to have been about a 13 hour day of poker for the players who participated in day 1a so i didn't get to play the fun bust people and check out how much you win the mysterious bounty prize portion of the day i did fire again on the next day and just really couldn't get anything going at all ended up losing in the first couple of hours and decided that was enough bounty for now there is another mystery bounty tournament later on in the fall that i will probably participate in 
depending on whether I make day two or day three or day five of something else. So the opportunity for mysterious bounties is not completely lost just yet. All right, let's switch gears and talk about another tournament that I just played yesterday. This is going to be the $1,600, $1.5 million guaranteed fall classic event with three starting days also at the win. There's another $1,600 tournament going on at the Venetian right now. But, you know, honestly, if I'm if I can do pretty much the same thing at the Venetian that I can do at the win, I'm probably going to pick the win 10 times out of 10 just because I really, really like playing there. And by the way, guys, it's not that I've had particularly good luck at the win either. I mean, I think I've had two or maybe three caches in win tournaments in my entire <laughs> poker career. But it's just, you know, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, I love that place. So, uh, yeah, this is a uh, day 1A. The tournament has three starting days, 1B and 1C, are happening today and tomorrow. But I'm taking a little poker break, as I mentioned, so I won't be firing again. I don't want to tell you how far I got or how well I did in this particular tournament. I'd rather build a little suspense right now rather than doing a spoiler for you guys. So uh, anyway, here we go. So this is very early on. The blinds are 200-300 with a 300 big blind ante. And we are in second position with pocket queens. We have about 29,000 uh, just down ever so slightly from our 30,000 starting stack. This is, I think, the second level of the day, so quite early on in the tournament. So we open to 800, which has been basically the standard raise at this table. I don't really have a problem with this sizing at this stage of the event. Uh, we have a really great table, by the way. Two to our left is uh, the loosest old man I've ever played against. <laughs> Maybe a slight exaggeration, but you know, if you play in Atlantic City and there's a player in his 70s at your table, you can pretty much count on that man waiting for the nuts, never bluffing, just trying to get there all the time. Uh, maybe they call a lot pre-flop, but you don't have to worry about how they play post-flop because if they have it, they bet, and if they don't, they check or fold. So they're pretty easy to beat. But this guy's from Florida, and he recognized one of the dealers at the win. Apparently, that dealer also used to be in Florida or work in Florida or whatever the case may be. So they recognized each other and had been chatting about, you know, good times in South Florida at the Hard Rock or whatever. So now this is a different animal. The, your old man in Florida is typically a big time gambler, maybe someone who also bets on horses, uh, treats poker more like a slot machine, wants to see pretty much every flop. I've already seen this player get in there with like King seven offsuit with like Jack four suited. I mean, really he's playing close to 100% of the hands, even to a raise. So uh, his playing style before the flop is very, very loose and passive. And his playing style after the flop is pretty aggressive. He's been caught bluffing a few times. And so because of that, we are excited to have Queens against him. So he calls, 
And then the button, who is a player who just joined our table, uh, a young 25, 26-ish European player with a very flashy style. He's got like expensive sunglasses and a designer mask on, (laughs) if you can believe it. He also has poker-related tattoos. There's one on his neck that says poker and one on his wrist that says all in. So this guy is very clearly serious about poker. I don't know how much he studies, but he definitely likes to be at the table and in the spotlight. And he makes it 3700 which is a very large raise for the situation. Remember, I made it 800 And then the old man from Florida, OMF, we can call him, uh, called. And now this guy says 3700 more than four times the original raise. Now he's got me covered. He's got about 48,000 ish. Uh, so does the uh, Florida player, by the way, he's got probably 60,000 ish. He's been playing every pot and winning most of them. So this guy says 37, it folds to me. Remember we have about 29 to start and I decide to just call with my Queens. Uh, if I three bet, I need to call a shove. And this sizing is so polarized that it just feels like I could well be up against aces or kings. Also, even though this player is new to our table, this is actually the first hand in which he's been involved. And there were a few other times when he was in late position and I thought that he might either open raise or call a raise or three better raise and he just folded. So uh, in a very small sample, maybe I've played 20 or 25 hands at this table so far, I have found him to be rather tight. So because of that, uh, I give his big three bet a little bit more credit than I might uh, a different opponent's, and I decide to just flat call with the queens. I'm basically set mining with my queens, which sounds weird, but yeah, I'm not really trying to go broke this early in this tournament with this hand, the third nuts when it feels like a lot of the time I will be up against either the nuts or ace king. I don't think this player would three bet, especially to this size with anything worse than tens. I think that with pocket tens, he might with pocket nines, he might just call with pocket tens. He might make this sizing. So his range could be tens, jacks, queens, kings, aces, plus ace king. And I doubt he has many bluffs at all in his three betting range here. So I think it's going to be a very value heavy range. Also his general body language that he was giving off and whatever tells I can pick up on him. My spidey sense is telling me this player is strong. Still, I can't fold Queens, at least not yet. It folds around to me and I call as does OMF. (laughs) He's also wearing a visor. So if you want to call the Florida guy, old man visor, We can do that too. By the way, I'm not knocking the visor. I'm wearing one myself. The pot is now 11,900, and we have approximately 25,000 remaining in our stack. And the flop comes five of spades, four of clubs, deuce of hearts. I check, OMV checks, and Eurotat, as I'm going to call this player, uh, makes it 6,000 which uh, feels like a big bet, although it's only half the pot. It feels like a big bet because a lot of the times uh, players are doing smaller sizing on their C bets. I'm also giving him credit 
for betting into two opponents, one of whom is known to be extremely loose. So he should have a lot of value in his range. I discount Ace-King a little bit because there's nothing wrong with checking behind with Ace-King or betting smaller with that hand. So just trying to put piece everything together, this feels like value. The problem for me is he could also have pocket tens, pocket jacks that I'm beating. So I have to call at least one more bet here, and I do. I put in 6000 to make the call, and to my surprise, and probably the surprise of the player on the button, OMV also calls. So he overcalls. So now the three of us are still in this pot, which is now bloated to almost 30000 299 to be exact. And the turn comes the 10 of spades. So our board is now 5 of spades, 4 of clubs, deuce of hearts, 10 of spades. I check once again, OMV checks, and Eurotat shoves all in. So, what to do, what to do. Uh, this is a really ugly spot. I was hoping that the fact that we both called on the flop would dissuade him from making any more moves here. Uh, I was hoping that I could get a check back and then maybe check and call a small bluff on the river or even a value bet from pocket jacks. I can beat that hand. So I was not happy that this guy shoved, and it just didn't feel like he should be bluffing often enough to make it profitable. I mean, I would have to win this pot around 30% of the time to make this call profitable, and I just didn't think that the math added up, especially not with OMV waiting in the wings behind me, still yet to act. So, you know, sometimes these older guys will slow play pocket aces too i mean you you'll see that a lot especially in florida where this guy is from you they hardly ever three bet with their aces they like to slow play them and then complain when they get rivered or whatever i don't know it's just part of the culture down there so i have to be afraid that at least one of my opponents has me beat um it just seems like i'm going to do better folding here and if i got outplayed so be it I could be up against a set. I could be up against pocket kings, pocket aces. I could be up against ace tray for a straight. Certainly possible. The old man could easily have ace three off suit and have called 3,700 preflop with it. It's not good to just think about the hands that can beat you. Just, I think that when we both call on the flop for him to bet again on the turn feels like really strong value. And I don't think queens are good enough to call, but it's really close. I folded, and I was hoping that OMV would call behind me, but no, he finally found the fold button himself. And so we will never know whether I should have hung in there and hung on for dear life with my pocket queens. But my rationale and my logic in not doing that has to do with my general read of strength on my opponent, the fact that I had two opponents and not just one, and the fact that he seemed particularly strong in the moment. So not just generally tight, but that he seemed very strong in the moment. So you know what? Maybe he had ace-king and he just outplayed both of us by betting and betting until everybody folds. But I think that more likely he had the goods and I probably made a good fold. Yeah, there are some hands we can beat like pocket jacks, uh, ace-king of spades specifically, would probably fire this river having picked up the flush draw on the turn. But does that hand bet 
half the pot on the flop into two opponents? I really don't think so, guys. I don't know. Yeah, this one's had me scratching my head for a while. I ended up losing about 40% of my stack on this pot so early in the tournament. That's no fun to, uh, <laughs> to cough up that many chips, especially holding pocket queens. So I don't know. What do you guys think about this one? Would you have called the shove? Would you have four bet pre-flop? I don't know. You know. This one's really, really tough. So these are the kind of decisions you have to make when you're playing against tough, aggressive opponents who are all tatted up with poker-related artwork and words all over their bodies. So that'll do it for this episode. You guys, if you're not yet members of TournamentPokerEdge.com, what are you waiting for? Get in there, subscribe for as little as $25 a month. You can have access to literally thousands of hours of unbelievable training from the likes of Andrew Brokus, Colin Moshman, Alex Fitzgerald, Daryl Jace, and so many more. Jared Smith, and the list goes on. We have amazing content for very little money. And even cheaper, you can get $10 off your first month if you use the promo code PODCAST at checkout. All caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And I do hope to have a special guest. (laughs) And by special, I mean one who doesn't cancel at the last minute for our next episode here live from fabulous Las Vegas next week. But for now, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun.